This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. How do you handle criticism? What about ridicule? What about threats of violence? Well, Nehemiah endured all of these and more in pursuit of God's plan for him. But how he responds to these things is as much instructive as it is inspiring. We'll learn about it today from Nehemiah chapter 4. Verses 16 through 23 of Nehemiah 4 read, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. So we continued the work, while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Let everyone and his servant spend the night inside Jerusalem, so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. In Nehemiah chapter number 3 and 4, the work to which God had called the prophet begins in earnest. And what's so striking is just how many people were involved in this building project. Chapter 3 outlines the work and who was doing what and where they were working. It was organized, industrious, and effective. Because of their hard work and labor, the people built up the wall to half its height in a short amount of time. This progress sent the opponents of the work seething with rage. The construction project progressed despite ever-increasing opposition. The chapter begins with Nehemiah's ridicule, and it ends with physical attack. The resistance grows at every turn. First, it's gossip. Then, it's ridicule. Then, it's threats. Then, it's confusion. Then, it's outright aggression. At first, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem try to ridicule, criticize, and intimidate. Then, as the continual work thwarted their efforts, they resorted to outright threats of violence. Though Nehemiah ignored their ridicule publicly, he privately took it to God, even asking God not to forgive their sin and expose it because they had so intimidated those who were building. Nehemiah realized the first and most important thing that he could do amid these threats was to take those threats to the one against whom they had been levied. Nehemiah knew that this was God's work. The wall was his idea. The work was his. 
and these threats were his to address. As for Nehemiah and the people, they never stopped working. Despite all of the opposition, these people worked incredibly well. The understatement of the whole passage might be the people had a mind to work. The organizational prowess that Nehemiah exhibited is extraordinary. This undertaking was a well-oiled machine with many projects and obstacles, and it's miraculous how focused the people were. When the opposition's scorn was rebuffed, they resorted then to threats. They threatened to attack the people as they were building. The resistance tested Nehemiah's resolve and leadership, but nothing would stop the building of this wall. His resolve is seen as he places half the people building and half the people standing as a lookout. Each one had a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. They were constantly rebuilding and ready to fight at the same time. But there was one problem. The people were separated from one another. So at the sound of the trumpet, when attacked, they were to come together to each other's aid. By the end, half the people are working and half the people are standing guard. When the time did come for them to rest, they were to rest together within the walls. But the work never stopped as the people's resilient resolve fueled the job amid the resistance. In an impassioned speech to his people, Nehemiah reminded them of who it was they were fighting for. He reminded them that their wives and their children were at stake, their homes, and the fame of God's people. Above all that, he wanted them to remember that the Lord was worth the fight, for he is great and awesome, and he would fight for them. He says as much in the passage. One of the most exciting parallels here is just how much Nehemiah mirrors the life of Joshua. Like Joshua, Nehemiah appeals for the people to take great courage in defending themselves and at the same time reminds them that it is the Lord who fights for them. These were the very words that Moses reminded Joshua of in Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you or abandon you. So do not be afraid or discouraged. This hope anchored Nehemiah and the people, and it must do the same for us, because in many ways, we must live as these Israelites did. We live in a society increasingly hostile to the church. This culture is careening down the same path of gossip, ridicule, threats, confusion, even attacks. They are more and more frequent. But sadly, the church isn't faring as well overall as Nehemiah's people did. We aren't as organized or well-managed as a church. We even face the same pattern of gossip, ridicule, confusion, threats, and outright attacks from those who seem to conflate among the remnant of God's church. Though they seem to be physically a part of God's work in the world, they often hinder through the same strategies as those without the church. Consequently, the work of God is crippled by almost a guerrilla warfare that often invades the church. Rather than focusing our efforts on building the kingdom, we are often more likely arguing, criticizing, and backbiting with one another. All the while, the walls of God's church are broken down, bringing reproach to God's name and leaving us vulnerable to the imminent attacks of the enemy. The epidemic is not just a single church, 
but the church as a whole in America. We don't have the mind to work as we should. We are often distracted as people. Rather than rebuild the walls that have crumbled over time in the American church to protect it from the enemy, we are constantly entertained and amused with other pursuits. We would do well to heed the words of Nehemiah 4. Some people are fighting and the others are supporting, but all are needed in the work of God. Every person is essential. At times, the grind is brutal, especially for the laborers carrying the load with one hand and a weapon in the other. We are in the process of rebuilding what has been broken down. In our home, in our church, in our lives, there are broken down places because of our sin that need repair. And yet at the same time, we face a present enemy that seeks to attack us once again where we are most vulnerable. We have to ask ourselves where we are the weakest and most susceptible. We have to fortify those areas with one hand and prepare to fight again in the other. Above all, like Nehemiah, we have to remember who we are fighting to protect. We have to remember that our families and our children are at stake. And if we succumb to the enemy's attack, or if we cease the work of fortifying our lives with the strength of God's word, if we aren't prepared for an attack ourselves, the enemy will hit us unaware, and we will be vulnerable to the civil wars that divide churches and wreck gospel witness all around us. But when we lose these battles, our kids will suffer for it. When we lose the struggle with gossip or temptation or selfishness, these areas are the battlefields, the low ground where the enemy attacks our lives, our families, and our church. And we have to be ready to resist the enemy while at the same time fortifying our lives with God's word. The work is vast and there is much to do. At times, we may feel separated or spread out because there is more work than people in the American church. We must rally together when the trumpet sounds. We must rush to the aid of our church family in time of need when they are under attack. The great hope is not that we will be victorious, though, but that we trust in God, who will fight for us. There are times when the days are long, even as in verse 21, when it's time to rest, and there must be seasons of rest. But even then, we have to stay together inside the city walls. The thought was, if they did not, then no one would stand as a guard. We have to stay together and within the walls. We have to be engaged to protect us and to protect the work that God has called us to do. We must be ever outfitted with the armor of God to defend ourselves against attack. We must never be caught at night when the enemy attacks without our sword in our hands. We must take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And with a trowel of service in one hand and a sword of the Spirit in the other, we have to be ready to fight and build simultaneously. The other principle that we must remember here is that we are too weak to fight these enemies independently. We need the help of those around us. When the trumpet sounds for battle, we need to have such a relationship that we run to their aid and, we would, and they would run to ours when we're attacked. We can't fight selfishness, bitterness, gossip, or temptation alone. 
We need to walk in accountability together to assist each other when we find ourselves attacked. If we hold one another accountable, they are the reinforcements that protect our children and our lives. What if we looked at accountability as a reinforcement to protect our kids from our own vices? The final application here is that God is on our side. If we live vigilantly and don't give up the work, the Lord will fight for us. Over and over, Nehemiah doesn't respond to the threats of the ridicule or the division. He lays it out before God, believing that he will fight for them. We must learn to do the same. We must be dependent on our defender. He will fight for us if we are faithful to him. So Jesus, thank you for these truths. Help us live with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. May we be ready for attack in the places where we are most vulnerable. May we run to each other's aid when we are attacked and not try to defeat the enemy in solidarity. Help us to remember that you fight our battles and there is no need to fear the enemy, be it ridicules or threats. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.